Well, good morning, church. Good to see you guys this morning. Glad you could be here. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are really excited to have you here today and be a part of our service, especially as we open uh, God's Word and uh, learn from that today. We are um, in a sermon series called The Gospel of Matthew. We're going through the book of Matthew. And what Matthew is, in case you don't know, Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He was an eyewitness to the life and ministry of Jesus. And after Jesus died and rose from the dead, Matthew would write his account. But Matthew, um, as he was writing this account, it was actually under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so God himself would dictate to Matthew and bring back to memory the things that he was to write down and record the Gospel of Matthew. The word gospel means good news. So this is Matthew's good news concerning Jesus. And so we're making our way uh, through that. Matthew, the book of Matthew, is actually broken up into some chunks of scripture. And chapters one through four really focus on that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The the first two-thirds of your Bible is the Old Testament. All of that points to Jesus, known as the Messiah or the Christ, the Savior of the world, God's chosen instrument to bring salvation to all people of every tribe, tongue, and nation for all time. And, the, and the, the beginning of Matthew shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these different prophecies, these signposts to um, what Jesus was going to be in his ministry, and then his arrival and early ministry. And so that's, that's really what we've been focusing on, and we're going to continue to focus on today, uh, chapters 1 through 4, um, and we're going to see how that all comes out. And we're going to see that everything points to Jesus. And so we're going to be in Matthew, uh, starting in chapter 3, uh, verse, uh, starting in verse 13. We're going to see uh, some things, and then we're going to walk through it uh, today. So starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is one of the most amazing uh, Uh, pieces of scripture. I love this piece of scripture right here because it's one of the few times in scripture that we get to see and audibly hear the Trinity all together. Like often we'll see one part of the Trinity, God is three persons as one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, three infinite beings as one God, the Godhead. And, And often we'll see one part or the other, but what we see here is the whole Trinity on display here that we can hear him and see him. This had to be an amazing scene. Like Jesus walking down, comes to John the Baptist. Um, we learned about him last week. And, and, and John comes up and, and Jesus says, hey, I, I want to be baptized. Which that's got to be like a really interesting conversation. I mean, you got to think about like John knows who Jesus is. That this is the Christ. And he's like, yeah, you should baptize me. And John's like, yeah, that would be kind of awkward because I should be baptized by you, not the other way around. You see like you're God in the flesh. Um, which, and I'm not, sir, Mr. Sir, Mr. Please, sir. Um, I, I don't even know what to say right now, right? And Jesus says, no, we have to do this. This is to fulfill all righteousness. We, we will, this is to set an example for us. Jesus would later give the, the commissioning, the, 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 the marching orders of the church to say, go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And so what he's saying is, I'm gonna walk through this 
And we're going we're gonna to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John says, okay, well, whatever you say, sir, Mr. Sir, uh, Mr. Jesus, sir. Um, I don't know what to say. Right? So he does. He, he gets baptized and he comes out of the water, and when he's coming out of the water, the heavens open up, the Spirit of God descends like a dove, rests on Jesus, and then this voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's an amazing moment. If you were there, if you were witnessing what was happening, there were other people around that saw this happen. Coming home that day, well, how was things there at the river? Well, Jesus got baptized, and then the Spirit of God descended upon him, and then a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is a big moment. This is Jesus' kind of like inauguration. This is the party as he starts his earthly ministry. He's going to go out now and he's under the reality and everybody knows that this is God's beloved son with whom God, the father, is well pleased. He's proud of his son. He's well pleased with him. And they have this huge moment. But what happens after that was, is really interesting because what happens right after this big moment is a time of trial, is a time of fierce battle. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Maybe you've had a mountaintop experience with God. Maybe you went to camp or you were on a missions trip or just some church service or, or whatever it was where like God got your attention. You had this big moment. God is real. God knows me. God loves me. And then right after that, you walk into a huge battle. Maybe you put your trust in Jesus and the next day you're, you're just in depression and you're trying to figure out what's going on. And maybe, maybe you've been there before, and, and just know this, that it's normal. It's often what happens is when you have these big mountaintop experiences with God, that, it, that the battle is soon to follow. And the reason why the battle is soon to follow is because we are in a battle. We're in a battle, and we have an enemy. And our enemy is real, and our enemy hates us. Our enemy's name is Satan, or the devil, the tempter, the father of lies, the accuser. He's described as a bunch of different things throughout the scriptures, but we know this. He is our enemy, and he has one agenda, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all that, that, all, that's all that Satan wants to do. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy. And one of the weapons that he uses on us often is temptation. Temptation is one of Satan's weapons. It's not his, it's not his only weapon, but it's certainly one of his favorites. And what it really is about temptation is, is that it's, it's kind of like a wedge to get into your life and it baits you to the edge of something and as soon as you get to the edge of it and you cross that line into sin, that's when the trap gets set and condemnation falls upon you and accusation and the battle. So it's this, this thing about wants to tempt you to get all the way to the edge so that you will take that step into sin. And temptation seeks to undermine your identity, exploit your humanity, and doubt your theology. That's what temptation does. Temptation seeks to undermine your identity, exploit your humanity, and doubt your theology. Now, I'm going to kind of break that down a little bit. He seeks to undermine your identity. Listen, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you put your trust in him, you become a child of his and a citizen of the kingdom. That is your identity. And, and, and what temptation wants to do is it wants you to, um, he wants you to focus on any other piece of your life and make that your identity except for this. 
So whether it be your career, whether it be your family, whether it be your accomplishments, whether it be your preference, whatever it is, right? Like whatever you can find to identify in this area as opposed to I'm a beloved child of God with whom God is well pleased. Anything other than that. So they want to undermine that part of your identity. The other thing is what's to exploit your humanity, Listen, we're, we're people. We all have weaknesses. We, we grow faint. We grow weary. And there's certain things that we have desires and we have needs. And, and Satan looks for ways to exploit that, looks for weaknesses in your life to be able to leverage that and tempt you to do things by exploiting your humanity or to doubt your theology. Theology, the word theology, a lot of people get scared of the word theology. They're like, well, I don't have a doctorate, so I don't know theology. Um, theology really is this. It's, it's really the study of God. Theos is Godology, study of. Study of God, right? And so what, you, what Satan wants you to do is to doubt your theology. He wants you to doubt what you know to be true about God. Is God really good? Is God really powerful? Does God really know everything? Does God really care about me? Does God not only love me, but like me? Right? The things that we know about God. He wants you to doubt your theology, because if you doubt the character of God, you're going to do something sinful. And so it says that that Jesus has this baptism mountaintop experience, and then the next verse we have in chapter 4, verse 1 says this, then Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was hungry. There was a time of testing. I remember early on in in my walk with Jesus that when I would go through times of testing, I thought something was wrong. You know, was it something that I did to my faith not matter? What, what was going on? Why was I going through trials? Because I thought that if I gave my life to Jesus, everything was going to be great. And I was just going to skip everywhere and it was going to rain Skittles. Like that was going to be like the greatest thing. Honestly, if it was going to rain anything, it'd be peanut butter cups because I love those things. But, but like if we were going to, you know, everything was just going to be awesome, right? Like you're just going to wake up every morning. People ask how you were doing. You'd be like, I'm great, but I'm getting better, right? Like that's what I thought the life of Jesus was like. And so when I went through trials and I went through hard times and it seemed like God was silent, I was like, what's wrong with me? And it was people who were more mature in the faith who ministered to me saying, this is normal, Steve. What, why is this catching you by surprise? And you're like, well, because I guess I thought that this was going to be easy. <laughs> like easy. <laughs> you're following Jesus, man. There's nothing easy about that. And I was like, oh, okay, so I was normal. And Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's, he's out in the wilderness and says, and he was hungry. It was an interesting thing about temptation, um, about our humanity. As, as Satan seeks to exploit our humanity, I was taught um, by one of my mentors about the acronym um, HALT, um, which stands for hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I always just remember that. I thought that was really helpful. Like, if you're going to be tempted, um, chances are you're going to experience tremendous amounts of temptation to sin when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Not that, it, not that that's only the way that's going to be, you know, stuff like that, but it, just, it was just a very helpful tool. And to be like, wow, I'm experiencing a lot of temptation right now. Like, there's a reason why people say there's nothing good that happens after midnight, right? Because when you're tired, you're going to make really foolish decisions. Or when you're lonely, 
You're going to be tempted to circumvent what God has to do something foolish and sinful. Or when you're angry, when you're hurt, right, and you're hurt and you're angry, then it's justified to sin, right? That's, that's often what happens. Or if you're hungry, if you have needs, if, you, if you're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm so hungry and I'm famished, and you're like, you're going to do something because you're distracted, and at that moment, temptation seizes an opportunity, and you walk into sin. So halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And um, it says, Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, and he was hungry. It's not a sin to be hungry. It's part of our humanity. We have needs. We have desires. But this is where Jesus is at. Was he uh, lonely at the time, being out in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights? I don't know. Was he tired? I don't know. I'm guessing there wasn't a lot of really good places to sleep. But there we find ourselves. So here's the stage. Jesus is out in the wilderness. He's been fasting 40 days, 40 nights. He's been without food. You ever gone without food 40 days, 40 nights? Like 40 minutes? Like any, anybody? Can you make it 41? Good for you. Are you intermittent fasting? Because that's the thing right now, right? Intermittent fasting? Like you hit lunch and you're like, I'm going to eat everything, right? Like that moment. Um, you go to the restaurant, it's lunchtime, and you're like, what are you going to have? I'm page two, like all of it, right? I've been intermittent fasting. And he was hungry. Verse three. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here's Jesus, he's out in the desert, he's been fasting, the tempter, Satan, shows up and immediately goes after his identity, immediately tries to undermine it. First words out of his mouth, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you're so great, if you're so wonderful, if God really loves you, prove it. If you are the son of God, prove it. That's what he says in this moment. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, prove it. And here's what's amazing about Jesus' response. He doesn't even address that comment. You know why? Because Jesus has nothing to prove to his enemy. And neither do we. Immediately, the, Satan, our, our enemy, will try to undermine our identity. and go, Well, if you're this, if you're so special, if you're so great, if you're so loved, then do this. Jesus doesn't even bother answering that. He doesn't even address it because it's a waste of time because Jesus has nothing to prove. Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't get into this. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. He's already hungry, right? He's hungry. And now they're talking about food. So he's right under the, he's exploiting the humanity. He's going after his identity, trying to undermine that. And Jesus nowhere goes, no, yeah, I am the son of God. What, you want to see? What, these rocks? You want pumpernickel? You want rye? What do you want? Right? I'll prove it to you. He doesn't even go there. Doesn't even go there. Doesn't even address that. If you're the son of God, if you're so special, then why don't you command these stones to become loaves of bread? Jesus' response instead is succinct. And it's based in the word of God. It's the scriptures. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting the words of God in this moment. And what he says is really amazing. 
And I think this is something that we really need to hear. Jesus says this, there's more important things than bread. And you're like, okay, that's great. But there really is more important things than bread. Jesus is hungry right now. If you go too long without food, you will die. But he says, there's more important things than bread. There's more important things than my needs. And there's more important things than my desires. There's more important things than bread. I'm not going to live by bread alone. I'm going to live by the very words that come from the mouth of God. There are things more important in your life than bread. And it's to hear from the Father. We hear him through his spirit. We hear him through the word of God. We hear him through the preaching of the word. We hear him through our brothers and sisters in Christ who remind us of these things. It's, it's good to hear from the mouth of God. Because right now Jesus is like, Satan's like, aren't you, tempt, are you, aren't you hungry, Jesus? You're hungry, aren't you? And some of us in this room today, we have hungers, don't we? We really want to be married. We really want that good job. We really want to have children. We really want to be noticed. We really want our parents to say they love us and be proud of us. We really want these things. And what Satan does in this moment, he says, turn these stones into loaves of bread. Do it yourself. Go about it your own way. Take something that's a rock and make it something different. And he says, take this, take this rock and make it a loaf because God obviously is not going to feed you. God's not going to take care of you. You got to do this yourself. You got to do this your own way. This is the most important thing. The bread is the most important thing. Jesus, you're hungry, aren't you? You're lonely. You want this? Turn it, just take a rock and turn it into bread and then you'll be satisfied. Take something that, take something that isn't designed for that, make it something else so that you can be satisfied. And so often we as people do the same thing. So often we'll take something and we'll take some relationship or we'll take, we'll take some job, we'll do something, we're like, but it's, it's gonna satisfy, I know it's gonna satisfy because I really, really want this and it's been a really long time and so I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this the way that I wanna do it, I'm gonna rush the process. So whether you're waiting or you're hungry, and you have desires that are not being met, please know this, there's more important things than bread. Because if you force something the way that God did not want you to walk down and do that, it's not gonna satisfy. And at this point, Satan says, you win, tips his hat, and goes home. Just kidding, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that because our enemy is as relentless as he is ruthless. He doesn't give up. Don't expect him to. So he comes at him again. He says, oh, you're going to do that? Okay. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and 
on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Then Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So the first one is, hey, take this stone, turn it into a piece of bread. Now he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, the place where the meeting, the meeting place of God is. And he says, okay, God's with you here. We're safe, right? You're with me. We're with God. Okay, let's do this. And then Satan does something that we don't ever expect. Satan quotes scripture. Did you see that coming? Because I remember being blown away that Satan knows scripture. Satan quotes some of it. It says, hey, remember when God said that he, he'll send his angels concerning you and that he'll, he'll bear you up, right? God will take care of you. Never mind that this scripture is completely ripped out of context and in this moment that he's just trying to use it to fit his purposes, but he's still going to use some words that are going to be disguised as light, but really to death. And again, again, our enemy says, if you are the son of God, if you're so special, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself off the building. I'm sure, I'm sure your father will catch you. I mean, it says in the scriptures that he'll, he, he'll send his angels concerning you. He's causing him to undermine, he's trying to undermine his identity and here doubt his theology. Right? Because God said this, right? So you should be able to throw yourself off the building and you should be fine. And Jesus said, he does say he will send his angels concerning me. He does say he will bear me up. But he also says that we shouldn't put him to the test. Like, don't foolishly test God trying to prove something to, the, to your enemy. It's a good rule. We should put that on a t-shirt, right? It should just be like, don't put God to the test and try to prove something to your enemy. He says you shouldn't put your Lord to God to the test. God gave you a brain. God gave you wisdom. God created gravity. He did all these things, and he's like, oh, sure, go throw yourself off the, throw yourself off the temple. You'll be fine. God's here. This is the meeting place, right? You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Go ahead. And Satan's like, I win. I've pulled some scriptures out of context, half sentences, things like that. God abated him enough. He's going to throw himself off the building, which means if the angels do catch him, he already bowed to my will, so that is a win, and if they don't, he dies. I win. And Jesus is like, yeah, but did you read the whole thing? Because it also says you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. Often what happens, and especially in our culture, in our world, we've taken certain Bible verses and we've pulled them out of context, and we use them as weapons, or the enemy will use them as weapons against us, and we're like, oh, we feel handcuffed. Like, God is love. Is that true? Yeah, it's 100% true. But we as humanity in a broken world have a really warped sense of what love is. And so when we say God is love, we think about it in our terms. But he says, no, God is love, meaning that he's got our highest good available to us. Like he desires for us to be of our highest good. That's what, that's what love is, to desire the best for someone else, to desire all that God would have them to be for someone else. And when we love someone, sometimes we have to say difficult things. Sometimes, sometimes things are difficult. Does that mean that we're not loving because we say difficult things? No, it's because of our love that we say difficult things. Often, our enemy will just rip stuff out of context and try to use it against us. 
And Jesus says, I know the whole counsel of God. I know all there is to know. And while you're saying something that is true, but not in its right context, I know what else he says, which is, I'm not going to put them to the test. I'm not going to do that for you. And Satan gives up and goes home. Just kidding. No, he doesn't. Because he's as relentless as he is ruthless. Verse 8, and again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So the first two, he's trying to undermine his his identity. If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, this one, he tries something different. He takes him up to a pinnacle, he takes him up to a mountaintop, and he shows him something. He he tries to seduce him with power and wealth and money. And he says, and he shows them all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. That is had to be an amazing scene. I mean, you saw all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Their glory, the, the weight of their, the, their, all of their literature, all of their technology, all of their wealth, all of their power, all of their women, all of their, you know, all of their palaces, all of their everything, all the kingdoms of the world. And I wonder if it was all the kingdoms of the world that were present at the time or all the kingdoms all the time. I'm not sure which one it was, but I know that all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He showed him something that was so magnificent, so beautiful, so enticing, so incredible. You would marvel at it. This is a strong, strong temptation. This is a huge invite. He says, I'll give this all to you. We've had TV shows about showing people about the glory of their houses, right? If you're old enough, you had Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, right? Then you had Cribs. Now we just have YouTube, right? Like, it's just like, everything. it's like, tour of fancy houses. And you get to see, like, oh, yeah, this is their helicopter pad. And this is, like, and you're, like, looking through that house, and you're like, oh, my, oh, my word, this is amazing. And he says, and it all could be yours, right? Have you ever had that moment where you, like, what would you do with a ton of wealth? Like, if I had $100 million, what would I do with that? By the way, if your first answer is pay off debt, you're old, <laughs> just so you know. Just so you know, if that's the first thing that comes off your list, $100 million, you're like, dude, I'm paying off debt. I'm getting out of this. I'm getting out of this. That's you. One, you've been watching Dave Ramsey. Good for you. Two, you're old. You're old. You ask a, you ask a 10-year-old what they do with $100 million, they're not going to be like, you know, I'm going to pay off my debts. I'm be like, no, I'm going to buy 16 cars. And I'm going to eat McDonald's. You're like, cool. What are you going to do the rest? You're like, there's more, Right? All the kingdoms of the world and their glory. This had to be a sight to see. And Satan just says this. All this can be yours for your loyalty. You just be loyal to me and I'll give you all of this. You just fall down and worship me. I will give you, God's withholding everything from you that I would give you freely. I will give you all of this. You'll have fame, you'll have power, you'll have wealth, you'll have everything you've ever wanted. And all you gotta do is be loyal to me. 
That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. And this will all be yours. Would your father do that for you, Jesus? Because I'm promising you everything. You just turn your back on him, follow me, be loyal to me. And Jesus, Jesus has a strong response to this. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Get out of my face. Shut your trap and go home. I want nothing of you. I want nothing of this. I want you gone out of my face. I'm not worshiping you. I'm not worshiping anybody else because I worship the Lord God, my Father, and I'm not turning my back on him for anything. Get out of my face. In this moment, it's one thing, you know, okay, you want to turn to bread, whatever. I got a verse for that. You, got, you want me to throw myself off a building? That's dumb. I got a verse for that, right? I'm not going to, now you want me to worship you. <laughs> Shut your mouth and get out. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus also quotes the verse, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He says, I know my father and I know who, I, I know who my king is. I know who I worship. I'm not gonna worship you for anything. And here's the amazing thing. When Jesus tells Satan to leave, he goes. I just think that's incredible. Satan listens to him, he's like, The devil left him. He's tired. He's hungry. He's lonely. He's in this spot where his humanity is being exploited. He's being tempted to undermine his identity and all of his theology and knowledge of the Father. He's being put into question by Satan. And, and Jesus says, This is enough. Be gone. Get out. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came to worship him, or to minister to him. The angels came and ministered to Jesus. Often we go through these trials and we go through these battles, and it feels like we're alone, but we're not alone. And what happens is when we get on the other side of this, a lot of times what happens is we are ministered to. Jesus was just promised all the kingdoms of the world, but here's the thing, Satan wouldn't give it to him, even if he could, because Satan's a liar. He's a liar, and he hates you, and he hates me, and all he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy. Our enemy has an agenda. He will tempt you into things to bait you to the edge of something, and as soon as you cross the line into sin, he will try to condemn you, and he'll try to destroy you, and he'll try to kill you. And if you're like, well, you promised this. He's like, yeah, and I lied to you. But that's not fair. Who said anything about fair? He's a liar and the father of lies. So anytime you're baited to do anything to turn your back on God, know that it's not going to fulfill and he's not going to keep his promises. Even if you handshake or pinky swear on it, it's still not going to happen. 
because he wants to tempt you. He wants to tempt you into sin, to undermine your identity, exploit your humanity, and doubt your theology. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus comes through this victorious. Jesus comes through on the other side. He didn't sin. He didn't, he didn't take the bait. And what's amazing is that this righteousness that Jesus has accrued in this, it's credited to you and to me as followers of Jesus. This victory over temptation is our credit to us. We win because of Jesus. Even when we fail, even when we give in to temptation, Jesus covers us. And we can come to him because of the cross. And we can be forgiven of the times that we've fallen into temptation, that we've sinned against God. And he will forgive us and make us clean. And he is victorious over that. His, his, his death on the cross, he didn't have to pay for any sin of his own because he didn't have any. It was all about covering us and our shame and our guilt and our sin. And so that was credited to us. And so we win. It's like, but even more so than what I'm about to say, like, you have sports teams, right? You know, like, did your team win yesterday? Like, yeah, we won. Really? You won? You won. You played the game and you won. Well, no, but we won, right? Like, is it your blood, sweat, and tears that were left on the field? Well, no, but I did throw a soda at my TV. So there's that. Cried a little bit. That was foolish, right? Did we win but here's the thing, even more so, Jesus, like we actually did win because of Jesus. It was his blood, sweat, and tears that is credited to us. Not that we watch something when we win. And to become a follower of Jesus means that we have the victory of Christ. And there's also ways that we can combat temptation. For our, for our fights that we're in here, know that if you fail, Jesus is there to forgive you and make you clean and make you new. Jesus is there. But he also gives us great tools to be able to wage war against our enemy. Number one, recognize our current state. Recognize your current, recognition is huge. You're like, why am I going through this? Halt is always, a, you know, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? You start going through those going, if you can recognize where you're at, going, oh, of course, this would be happening right now. I'm really lonely. Of course, I would be experiencing this right now. I'm really tired. Right? Recognize our current state. Remember who you are, who we are in Christ. Remember who we belong to. We recognize where we're at, but we got to remember who we belong to. We are children of God. We are adopted into his family. We are part of his kingdom. When we become followers of Jesus, we're, we're part of the family. we got to remember that, and we have nothing to prove to our enemy. So don't even try, because you got nothing to prove. It's a waste of time. Remember who you are in Christ. Renounce the work of the enemy. To speak against it. To say, I know what this is. I know what you're trying to do. Get out. Get out. You're like, Steve, have you ever said that? Yes. Have you ever said that out loud? Yes. Get out. I'm sick of this. Be gone, Satan. Does it work? Yeah. Does he come back at you again? Yeah. What do you do? Well, I recognize my current state. I remember who I am in Christ, and I start to renounce the work of the enemy again. And then to renew our minds with the word of God. To renew our minds. 
to spend time in the word. That's why every Sunday we spend time in the word of God. That's why in our life groups we spend time in the word of God. That's why we continually spend time in the word of God because we need this constantly to remind us and we need to renew our minds that Jesus' work on the cross and, and, and what he's done for us. And we read about that and people are like, well, I'm a slow reader, so am I. You're like, well, I don't remember things good. And I'm like, what's your name again? Right, like that's, we can just continually Bury the word of God into our hearts and minds. Just constantly keep it before us. I had a wise pastor once say, um, and I say wise because it wasn't me, um, but it was a wise pastor that once said to me, he said that we should bury the word of God in our heart and our minds so much so that it becomes the background music of our life. He said just constantly in the background, just the background music of your life. You guys do work with background music? And it just, the scripture should be the background music of our life. That way, when attack comes, all we have to do is turn up the volume. That's how he described it. And I was like, that's so good. Just continue to keep it and renew our minds so that when the battle comes, all we have to do is turn up the volume. Keep at it. Keep reading. Keep being in it. Into the word of God. Remember what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray.